Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there with visibility. Uh, you can f- subscribe wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, Tune in. You can leave a rating or a review. Share it with your friends, your coworkers, anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn news and sports. I'd also love to remind you, our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a free 14-day trial of their premium services and then 25% off your first three months of that premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. Now, Kyle and I absolutely love Podient. You know, we were talking about statistics and kind of where downloads are happening and trends and downloads. They handle all that technical stuff for you. All you got to do is edit your show, record your show, upload it, and they'll take it from there. So if you, again, ever thought about starting your own podcast, all you got to do is go to Podient. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Sign up using the offer code LONGHORN to get a 14-day free trial of the premium services and 25% off your first three months. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who is still mad that the band is in the nosebleed section, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I am. Uh, I'm doing wonderfully. Uh, you know what? TCU can can go ahead and, and be stuck anywhere. I don't really care. Um, the the curse is broken. The color purple holds no control over us. We might just see the UT football team exercise multiple multiple demons in the coming weeks. Um, I'm great, man. I I. I Went all weekend with a smile. Couldn't stop smiling after that game. Uh, I had to pack. I'm moving, which is not fun. But you know, you got you got to temper things and say, "Hey, I got I got to win." And I saw my couches, so life could be worse. If Texas manages to beat TCU and Kansas State in consecutive weeks, we're gonna get our first soundboard drop on this show, and I'm gonna drop a "I have exorcised the demons" uh, next week. It'll happen. <laughs> so be be ready if that happens. Uh, no promises. Uh, so we already tilted our hand a little bit. We're going to talk uh, Texas kind of putting the wood to TCU. We're going to preview Kansas State. We've got a brief bit of news, and then obviously we're going to close the show out with some bang the drum. So, Kyle, you and I last week were trying to temper expectations. Sitting here equivocating, sitting here wanting to believe that Texas was going to play well. But knowing deep down in the deep downs that this is still TCU and and TCU has owned Texas for recent history. Well, the beginning of the game felt like any other year. Texas struggled a wee bit. Uh, And then something happened in the second half. I'm not sure what. uh, I'm not sure what the the halftime speech was. They definitely didn't play too tight. Didn't didn't squeeze the rabbit to death in the second half. Texas managed to pull away, come away with a 31-16 victory over the TCU Horned Frogs, beating their second-ranked opponent in as many weeks, the first time Texas has had wins over, uh, or consecutive wins over ranked teams. And I think it's since 2008 which is crazy yep. to think about. So, Kyle, there's a lot to unpack from that game on Saturday, but what uh, what stuck out to you the most about the win over TCU? Uh, well, first of all, um, Texas is undefeated now in the newly minted Crystal Conti Bowl. So, uh, you know, orange obviously trumps 
purple. Uh, we'll probably never lose to TCU again. We now know their secret was they had more Del Contes than we did. So um, I think that's really all the analysis you need. Let's go ahead and move on. No, I was just, I was just going to say, so is Del Conte the final Gary Patterson Horcrux? Is that what you're saying to me? Uh, that would make that would make sense because you know if you don't have the right AD supplying you know the steady budget for the sweat towels you know <laughs> maybe new AD comes in has to crack down can't get the donors to give the solid I'd say two and a half million it requires to to properly uh, towel and moisture control that man um, you know I, I get it there was a Brady Quinn made a comment about there was confidence oozing from Gary Patterson and my thumbs could not move <laughs> quick enough to tweet. The moment had passed before I could tweet it out there, but I got it out to a text to you and to the BON group chat that that's not confidence. That's just flop sweat. <laughs> and so we've no, done that's, zero analysis that's, so that's beautiful. And <laughs> no, we're killing it. And honestly to, to, to transition back into the real stuff, I guess, um, Patterson had every reason to be to be nervous. Um, the, the game started out, and and there was something different right from the be- beginning. On the first third down conversion, um, it wasn't a perfectly thrown, thrown ball by Sean Robinson, but it's probably a ball that every year before that TCU catches, and they didn't catch it. And Texas got a third down stop. And I kind of sat back on my couch a little bit, and I was like, wait a minute, they're human. They can't just you know do whatever they do where they, you know, take some three-star receiver who who gets three touchdowns on us because, you know, it, it's Texas and they, you know, have all some kind of juju. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if that happened for the players too. You know, maybe they're they're coming in and uh, there's some crack that they saw or maybe they're just, they're just confident enough. But I thought, you know, the defense especially uh, from the first play just really showed out, um, you know, you hold a TCU team to – to 16 points to under 20 points let's just say um you expect to win that that game and the problem in the past has been that the offense hasn't necessarily been able to match stellar defensive performances and there were certainly certainly cases of that in this game and we can break that down a little bit further I think the defense played a pretty complete four-quarter game in this one we've been asking for that in every podcast every review we've done of a game this year we've asked for this team when will we see them play four total complete quarters the good news, Gerald, I don't think we've seen that yet. I don't think we've seen the best that this Texas team can be. Yeah, and, and Tom Herman said it in post game, you know, to the team, it was on all access if you've got Longhorn Network, that he feels like Texas's best is better than most teams' best. Um and I think we saw that on Saturday where Texas played almost at its best and TCU very clearly played less than their best and Texas put the boots to him. And I think you saw that there was just something that didn't click for TCU very first play. They had to call a timeout. Like you, you can't do that. Like you, you, you have the script for the first two series. So why, why are you having to, to burn a timeout on the road for, so there's just something that wasn't clicking. And you know, I think it for me it comes down to the senior leaders. Uh, we'll talk about the young guys here in a second, but Gary Johnson continues to show why yeah. people were excited about him going into the year. He is. It's hard to say he's he's as explosive as a guy like Malik Jefferson, but Malik didn't lead the team in tackles most weeks, and Gary has now done it in consecutive weeks: eleven tackles, one for loss, and he's just a guy that's flying around the ball. He's a guy that's everywhere, and the defense always, or the offense always has to make sure they know exactly where he's at. And so that causes some matchup issues for any team they're going to play against. Yeah, I think Gary Johnson can do a lot of things. And I think one of the most interesting things, we'll talk about it a bit when we, we break down some of the specific stats from this game, but mobile quarterbacks have always and maybe forever will be the, the Achilles heel of of a Texas defense. You could run in whatever, you know, premier coordinator you want. That always just gives me, gives me nightmares. You know, um, one thing that makes Gary Johnson unbelievable. And we talked about his, I think his like seven second hundred time or whatever it was in high school. The guy can fly um, is that he's almost as valuable as a middle linebacker, just spying and then giving you a chance. Okay. Run your play. Let's see it develop. You're going to get outside. I'll get there first. It's very hard to beat a guy who just sits in the middle and is quick enough to say, I can give you a second. I can read. I can sit on my heels and let this develop. And then I'm going to go downhill. And when I do, good good night and good luck. You know, um, <clears throat> I think that's the wrong presidential candidate. Gary Johnson was the libertarian. No, um, I, I think uh, 
I think Gary Johnson is is legitimately can make up for deficiencies in areas of this Texas defense. So, um, you know, I think this is a, a fantastic defense, and, and Orlando called a uh, yet again a, a fantastic game. Um, but if our line isn't getting the penetration, or or you know, uh, we're having some issues at the linebacking core where we can't maybe run what set we would go out there with, so it's a little different. You have Gary Johnson, a guy um, who you know sometimes we talk about these nickel package linebackers. Well, he's, he's as fast as any, any one of those, but he's also a freaking monster, you know? So I, I think he has the chance to really be, you know, we need to enjoy watching it because he's going to, he's going to continue to be, and he could be a, you know, a Derek Johnson type NFL career. I, I don't know that I'm saying he'll be that good on the 40 acres because Derek Johnson was an absolute all timer, but he's a guy who can play for 12 years in the NFL, um, you know, cause he's just getting smarter going with those natural physical tools he's got. Well, it, it, one, it's hard to think Gary Johnson of having as prolific a burnt orange career as Derek Johnson because he's this is his last year. But uh, <laughs> but outside of that, no, he's he's just you know one of the things that TC was made money on year in and year out is catching the edges, and the fact that you know he's able he was a big part of the reason why they didn't catch an edge. He was a big part of that because he was flying, you know, tackle to tackle, for lack of a better term, you know, on the offense. And uh, so I think keeping that offense contained and not letting Sean Robinson crack off too many big runs. He had a couple, uh, but keeping him from using that that speed, those those feet that he has. Uh, was a big win for Texas, and I think uh, the the only thing, and not to not to you know find pimples on the prom queen, the thing that continues to to worry me is the lack of sacks in this game. Texas got absolutely no sacks; they five tackles for loss. Yeah. Uh, so that's not going to fly against. Was the was the McCullough tackle uh, on the goal line just a tackle? Was that a designed run then? Because he tackled Robinson in the backfield. That was a but, designed okay. run. Yeah. That was not a pass. I thought I thought maybe that was our, our one sack. So I'll call that a half sack because, I, I mean, that's your quarterback getting out there and on what may have been a quarterback draw where, you know, receivers were playing it like it was a like it was a pass. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, nonetheless, a half sack at most, zero sacks in the stat sheet is not good enough. And there's one name that we're not seeing here and we really haven't had a chance to see all year. And if you go back to our preview, it was one area that we were – I thought was going to be contentious, but we were both in agreement that we were a little scared – and we couldn't quite swallow the the whole you know Kool Aid was. Where's Breck Hagerpin? He's averaging two tackles a game. He got eight tackles on the season. I mean, he's a guy who is named a captain. He's a guy who seems like all his teammates love him. The coaches say the right things about him, and I don't know if that's just to keep him motivated, or you know, if there truly is some part of this scheme that he is somehow like a defensive tackle on the edge. He's just eating up blockers. I don't know. Um, but, you know, th- there is a, an element to his game that we expected to see. I, I was having this conversation with someone uh, after the game it, just via text. was like, you know, wh- what what did we think he was versus what he is and what could he be? And we kind of said, well, I don't see him obviously playing linebacker at the NFL, but he's a guy who could be an all-time special teamers with the motor. He's got the energy, just kind of the, uh, the passion. But uh, <laughs> someone actually – said, and I think it's pretty good, is he might have the best future career as a WWE superstar. Um, <laughs> the guy has all the energy and flamboyance, and if he keeps the hair, he's got that, and he's built like a freaking uh, brick house. But, you know, that you don't want to look like Tarzan play like Jane, and I'm not accusing him of that. I just want to see, in, in, in true Hager fashion, maybe saving it up for a four-sack performance against uh, Oklahoma in a couple weeks. But, uh, yeah, we need to see something. Chris, Chris Nelson, to get some penetration, had a couple tackles for loss and five total tackles, um, has been has been good, the big fella. Um, you know, I, I, I think... I think really it's just a matter of if we can figure out how to get one step quicker and turn quarterback pressures into quarterback sacks and Robinson's a mobile quarterback, but we can, we can change that up. Um, I think this defense has a chance to, to continue to get better and be elite right now. They're very good and, and they've played very good against two very good offenses, but how they play throughout the rest of a tough big 12, um, will probably dictate the overall success for the season, in my opinion. Absolutely. And and I'm fine with Chris Nelson's numbers because in the three three five, you know, three two six scheme that Texas runs, your your tackle's not going to be the guy with the flashy numbers. He's going to be the guy that eats up the blocks and lets lets the linebackers play well, which is probably part of the reason why Gary Johnson is playing so well is because Chris Absolutely. Chris Nelson demands two offensive linemen. And I haven't gone back and watched the tape from this week. So if Brett Hager was double teamed every play, I don't think he was, but if he was double teamed every play consider this my official apology uh but he his his thing is he plays with a high motor 
and it doesn't matter who's going to block him, whether it's a fullback, whether it's a, a guard and a tackle, he's got the advantage on one of those two guys. So I just, and again, you may be right. He's going to show out versus OU and, and it's going to be great, but I need to see it on the field We're yeah. we're kind of, we're kind of dancing around the thing we really do want to talk about. Um, oh yeah. I, Kyle and I are unabashed, probably favorite player on the team. Um, the one, the only, the pride of Cibolo, Texas, Caden Stearns, uh, Big 12 Newcomer of the Week, came with two interceptions, one that he kind of looked like the galloping ghost on that first one. It was it was very interesting, <laughs> uh, but that brings his total to three for the year. There are only two freshmen uh, that have more. One of them is Quandre Diggs, um, the name that you guys may be familiar with. Um, he... And I, I may have gone a, a little too far. I, I said with some other BON writers that Caden Stearns may be playing better than any defensive back that I've seen in a long time. Holton Hill was a shutdown corner last year. I, I, I'm aware of that. But from the safety position, I don't know if I've seen a guy play better. And that may be because PJ Locke is struggling mightily this year. And the guy before them was uh, the one, the only Dylan Haynes, um, the (laughs) the luckiest man in burnt orange. So it's been a minute. Uh, Kyle. Yeah. What's the ceiling for a guy like Stearns? Let me give a quick disclaimer. If you're if you're listening to this, if you're driving your car, you know, just put it in cruise control. If you're at home, maybe settle in, get a drink. We're gonna be we're gonna be here a while. We got we got thirty minutes to spend on start. No, we we won't. But I could I could wax poetic. Um, the wolf of DKR. The the man has it all. He has the nickname. He has the look. He has the fearlessness. He's come on campus and done everything uh it's it's funny i was texting someone uh also after the game and i i said you know they they need to uh go ahead and 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 call it here we have the next earl i meant thomas he responded with yeah go ahead and build the statue i guess he'll be a heisman and i was like oh 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 i meant thomas not campbell but hey shoot for the stars man uh <laughs> you know uh the guy looks pretty good with the ball in his hands i wish he, he would have kept his foot about another inch in inbounds and got his first career touchdown um but i mean you, you look at three interceptions and and one Devonte davis knocked out of his hands or he'd be leading the country right now with or tied for the lead there's only one player with four um three interceptions is second in the country right now this kid's a, a true freshman he has made big hits he's he's been our best player against these jet sweeps there's a reason that teams aren't destroying us with the now it's because although Stearns actually played decently against them his first game in Maryland he's been flying uh USC tried it Tulsa obviously tried it um and 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 shutting those down um he blocked a field goal he's been I mean of course there's probably uh you could pick a play out where he had a misstep or he did something wrong but he has been 98 percent of the time in the season in the right place at the right time making game time fluid smart decisions that you don't see 18-year-old kids make. We talked about that with the quarterback position, you know, a lot last year talking about Sam. Um, this kid looks like a not only a 22-year-old, he looks like a 25-year-old. He looks like he's already playing on Sundays. I'm glad we have the rule that you can't go straight there because the kid looks like he's, it's effortless to him and he could just take the next step. Um, I, I don't want to give him too much praise because he's got a lot more career and a lot more great things to do. Um, but, you know, uh, you, you put the stats in there and I'm going to steal your thunder. No, I'll let you have it. I want to hear how <laughs> – I don't want to steal your thunder. You're right. Big 12 newcomer of the week. That. But the more important thing, how does he compare to some of our other great safeties in Texas Longhorn Pass, Gerald? Well, thank you, Kyle. No, so – I said it, you know, not really jokingly that he compares favorably to Earl Thomas, who who is probably one of the best safeties that's ever worn burnt orange. Like it's it's hard to yeah. Texas had a lot of great corners, but Earl Thomas may be the gold standard for safeties. He's a guy that in the NFL right now doesn't practice and had two interceptions yesterday against the Cowboys. So we'll just leave that at that. Uh, but through now, Earl Thomas didn't play as a true freshman. So that take that with a grain of salt. But through Earl Thomas's first four games in burnt orange, 19 tackles, zero interceptions and three pass breakups. Caden Stern's first four as a longhorn, 15 tackles, three interceptions and one broken up pass. So, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put this mantle on, on the kid because you know what? He, he may, he's going to be the first Caden Stearns. He's not going to be Earl Thomas. His game is like very that. different. Um, you know, Earl was a big hitter, but Caden's got more body to him. So they're going to have very different play styles, but I'll say this. If this is the floor on which they build, mm-hmm. we're looking at something special. 
And that's that's the most I can say is that if this is where we start, can you imagine in three years when he's a when he's a junior and he's grown into his frame? Yeah, and he's NFL ready. That's exactly what I was going to say because his brother played at Oklahoma State and, and I think played for the Chiefs and is an NFL free agent now, but just looks filled out. Looks like a big boy. Um, and you you look at them standing next to each other. There's a picture on Twitter earlier, and I, I saw. It. You see an easy 20 more pounds on Stearns without him necessarily losing that speed. You just see him not looking like a teenager and growing into a grown man's body. And that is terrifying. Like, that that should make every receiver absolutely afraid that that, that is coming. Um, you know, the other thing I want to give credit to is, is the other touted freshman, although he had to sit out a half. We had, we had uh, Foster come in and look great. And then we have Overshone, who hasn't hasn't played because of injury. So, I mean, as, as much as we've talked about the experience in the secondary, I think both, uh, I think both Foster and obviously Stearns are our, our player of the game look fantastic. And I think both, you know, uh, both of our corners who do have that seniority Boyd and, and Devonte Davis maybe took one step wrong, maybe did whatever, but recovered so unbelievably well. I'll say this about Chris Boyd. A lot of the talk about him is like, Sometimes it's like, what are you doing? But he always seems to make the play. I mean, the way he times balls to get, you know, to get his hands just as a receiver goes and breaks him up. I mean, he just does things at a at a at a different half step than than everyone else. Like he he it's a different cadence, almost like a you know, like a like a jazz artist or to bring it more contemporary, like a really like, you know, just a really funky rapper who, you know, like a Earl Sweatshirt who just comes on a different beat than everybody else, but you have to respect it. Like there was a there was that play that that Boyd had gotten he bit on a sluggo earlier and they tried to run it uh, to Rager on, in the end zone and he, and he saw it made the most beautiful one hundred percent momentum stopping change of direction pivot without wasting a step turned into the receiver cutting out knowing what route was coming so that the receiver would have to play through him so he could create contact you know cover the ball you know get to the ball without without uh, interfering and. It was perfect. You cannot coach that better. It was absolute perfect coverage. And so stuff like that makes me think, wow, maybe maybe he really is a first-round draft pick. So, I mean, that's that's the stuff right there, that mix of, of veteran talent and young players that makes me think that this defense is going to stay, at least like you said, at this floor and really hopefully continue to get better as the rest of the pieces click around it. Yeah, and there's just there's just so much talent and we we could talk about the defense for another 45 minutes but we're already 20 in and we've still <laughs> got to talk the offense so sure. um, the the offensive story i think it starts with sam ellinger and yep. you peel back the onion and you see a lot from it so sam ellinger uh 22 of 32 great clip 255 yards his 10th game with more than 200 yards uh two touchdowns 11 rushes 31 yards and a touchdown his two uh, passing and one rushing touchdown put him in some rarefied status. The only other two quarterbacks in school history to have a rushing touchdown and two passing touchdowns in three consecutive games are one Vincent Young and Coltimus McCoy. Uh, now, I'm not saying that Ellinger is going to be Vince or Colt. That, that is, again, too much to put on a young man. But for a guy that We'll just say you and I were really critical of a year ago mm-hmm. and honestly weren't super uh, psyched about the decision to go with him over Bouchel. Um, he's got, he's turning me into a believer. He's now top 10 all time in school history for passing. He's going to be the second fastest to hit a thousand passing yards in a season. Uh, so Ellinger's turning me into a believer, Kyle. I, that, that's all I can really say about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, Cam Rising might still be the best quarterback on campus, I'll just say. But let me get that out of the way. I'm not going to argue with it. <laughs> and, and say that Sam has – he's growing. I mean, it, it, it's not like a eye test, oh, wow, he looks good. No, it's it's in the stats. It's in the um, – you know, it's visible in the things you're seeing on the field. I, I mean, I loved the uh, the statistic about um, – we, we put it out on our Twitter, and I apologize, I can't pull it up right now. But um, we actually – about how he's facing in pressure, uh, you know, in, in the first game, he was had like a, you know, a seven passer rating. And, and, and in this game, I mean, he threw two of his biggest passes of, of the game and maybe of the season, maybe? 
of his career with dudes like crashing down on him with uh with tcu's kind of all conference defensive end about to destroy him um ben and i won't try to butcher his last name um coming around the end about to destroy him you literally see the 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 frame by frame of that and it's like oh okay sam gets sacked here all right he couldn't get the ball out of his hand somehow he stays in there knows the hit's coming gets it out of his hand it's not his blind side he sees it coming gets it out of his hand to and that's the play that colin johnson made the diving Again, fantastic, wonderful, heck of a catch, um, you know, to, to really put the game away. So you have to give the kid all the credit that you can muster. For every single bit of criticism that we've levied at him, you have to give him every bit of that much credit. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll give a, a golf clap for, uh, for, for Sam. I mean, you, you earned it. You are you're doing everything that is required and expected of a quarterback. Haven't had a turnover. You're throwing the ball away, you know, since the Maryland game, you're, you know, protecting it well and, and, and making the right decisions. Um, you know, the way he, he got players other than little Jordan Humphrey involved early in the game, namely one beautiful Colin Johnson. Um, you know, he just looks like a kid who's ready to run this office and make it his and never let it go. Yeah, and you mentioned that he got other players involved other than Lil Jordan Humphrey, but I I think his best quarter was the quarter that he and Lil Jordan had the most connections. He, he, oh yeah, Lil Jordan was only targeted once in the first half. Colin Johnson targeted or not Colin Johnson, Sam Ellinger targeted him, uh, meaning Lil Jordan Humphrey, five times in the third quarter, went for eighty four yards, like so. There's something to be said about dancing with the one that brung you, uh, but. He's just the the term game manager gets tossed around uh, as a negative for a lot of people. But in in a team that's structured like this, if you've got a defense that can hold high powered teams to four scores, then you as an offense need to only score four in a field goal. And and again, this is not meant to be dismissive of Sam Ellinger's play. But he's doing the exact things he needs to do to put this team in a position to win. Everything he is doing is putting the team in the exact right position to win. And that's what this offense needs as it as it continues. You and I texted about it, but the thing that really has impressed me the most about his development is he's using his feet not to run. He's using yeah. his feet to create opportunities yeah. where he'll step up in the pocket, step back in the pocket, roll. Now, if I see one more doggone sprint out, I'm going to throw my remote through the TV. But <laughs> the the fact that he's keeping his eyes downfield yep. and this, this is, this may be too nerdy for this, but him recognizing coverages and making the right calls, recognizing that, oh, there's a corner blitz or a safety blitz and Colin's not going to have a man over the top. Let's just throw it up and see what happens. Uh, yep. And there were a couple of those on Saturday, he completed one. And I think one went a little too far, but you know, the simple fact that he's able to see that recognize it, stand in the pocket under pressure and deliver a catchable ball to one of the most talented receivers in the country. Like it's really, really impressive to see that growth. And, and it's hard to you know not talk about the offensive line, keeping him clean. Uh, you know, this team averaged basically three sacks a game last year. And they brought that down uh, to two, which again, that's a huge difference. Like it, a full sack a game is a big number. One thing I've wanted from a Texas quarterback for a long time is a quarterback who scrambles to be a passer. I think, Putting when you when you drop your eyes and drop the ball and you become a runner, that's great. You can do some fantastic things with that. Um, you know, I loved watching a guy like a Lamar Jackson last year. You can see some electric plays come of that. But when you have a quarterback who can do that, but who also can scramble to make one guy miss, to extend a route to where it's perfect coverage, but it will break down if you can make it, you know, last for five or six seconds back there. Someone will get open. That quarterback who even like we talked about what Ellinger did, he he, put, he goes down first, goes, you know, backs up, scrambles, goes down to, to run, then pops back out, you know. That was designed. He knew what he was doing. Let's little Jordan Humphrey only at that point get the separation, make the catch. And yet again, this is one of my favorite trends. We need to run this touchdown play where little Jordan breaks a first tackle and Colin Johnson blocks a guy and then he runs for 30 yards. Play all the time. It's a very good one. Um, it's awesome. That's my new favorite trend with UT football. I think we've done it three weeks in a row and may it last for, for three to six more. Um, I just love it. Like That is a dynamic of, of the Texas offense that, that – we haven't really seen in years. 
And you know, you say that your favorite play is the little Jordan Humphrey break a tackle, one guy blocks. My favorite play has been uh, Sam Ellinger being willing to check down and throw away. Oh yeah, those have been my favorite plays where the the receivers aren't open, but Andrew Beck is just fast enough to be a step ahead of a linebacker. Yep. Or where there's nothing there and he just throws it out of bounds. Like the, if he makes some of those plays last year, Texas wins a couple more games, and so. We've said it. He's he was a couple of dumb throws away from from this team being. They would have been a nine win team last year if he had thrown a yeah. couple of balls away. And they're I'm not going to say they're going to be a nine win team, but they're trending to 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 show uh, progress. That's that's for sure. We mentioned Colin Johnson. He definitely needs a mention. Seven seven uh, catches for 124 yards and a score. One of the best catches of the year. Now, granted, it's really impressive that you can continue to overthrow these big, fast receivers, but he's putting it in only spots that his guys can get it. So maybe it's intentional. I don't is know. it by design? I, I was going to ask that. Is it by design this play where we run a post and there's no safety in that spot and you just make it where a guy can lay out and it's either an incompletion or a touchdown? That has to be by design because there's had to be at least six or seven, and I think four of them have been touchdowns. So, I mean, it's yeah. – it's a good play. I like if it. He, if he's doing it on purpose, then more power to you. Uh, Trey Watson had a decent game, you know, 15 yeah. carries, 60 yards. He was able to find some creases that he wasn't able to find earlier in the season. I think he's becoming more confident. This is probably going to be the best defense that they face all year. Yeah, I, I mean, I think OU clearly is a is a you know an offensive powerhouse who, who's going to lack defense. West Virginia puts up a lot of points, has a good defense, but not an elite defense. And outside of that, I, I don't really see one in conference. I mean, maybe in their bowl game, which I'm going to knock on wood. But uh, yeah, you're right. This is probably the the best defense, and, and that that is why it's a little disappointing when you look. They rush for 112 yards, which is not you know phenomenal, but it's not bad, um, especially with Trey Watson is is your you know only guy who's really could get it going with Keonta Ingram getting banged up. I thought Watson did some great things to to get some second second chance yards, which you know not isn't necessarily his strongest point. Um, Danny Young couldn't get it going. Um, you know, Keonta Ingram is the truth, and, and, and as healthy as he is, is probably the extent that our our rushing game is going to get over 130 yards in any given game. If it's not him as a part of it, that doesn't happen in my in my mind. I'd love to be proven wrong, um, but so I'm I'm hoping and wishing and, and praying for health for that guy because you know you, I think him over the next couple of weeks against West Virginia OU gives us a, a dynamic where we have a guy who can not only slow it down, run between the tackles, let us you know let us build up those play action passes but also break some of those, you know, the, the, the way that he wiggles and he, you know, hesitates to, to create a space and then, and then explodes, he's going to give you second and ones. He's going to give you, you know, third and ones. And, and that opens up the playbook a lot. So I, I, I hope he's healthy. You know, like I said, I don't want to take anything from, from Trey Watson who did have the touchdown. Um, but, you know, I think our best bet going forward offensively is with, with, with Keontae healthy and, and, and getting a good, good, good chunk of the carries. And you mentioned Danny Young not not getting it going. I I'm convinced that the coaches told Garrett Wallow as soon as number thirty hits the field, your <laughs> job is to just be on him. He's like that's that's what it looked like to me. Like it looked like his job was, hey, that big running back, if he gets ahead of steam, he's gone. So yeah. my job is to just run downhill, forget every other responsibility, and just put a hat on him. So it seemed like it may have been a weird designed, like, don't let Danny Young catch a full head of steam. Cameron Dicker missed a couple of bad field goals, hooked two of them, which sucks, but he is a freshman, so Yep. There's a lot of time. Uh, the kick return, if, if the if the special teams can get figured out uh, consistently, yep. I think this team can can be really, really good. Well, and, and, and like I said, just to quickly touch on the punting, it's been uneven, but again, you have two freshmen in your special team positions um, with, with Dicker and, and, and uh, Buschewski, but you, it just reminds you how important Dixon was when you could, you could change a field. Um, I think Texas in that second quarter offense – Wasted some golden defensive opportunities, and it reminded me last year of Texas wasting some golden Michael Dixon field position opportunities. So, um, you know, the defense is probably going to have to make a couple extra stops to give you what we could get in punting last year, which is a weird thing to say. Um, but those field position battles. So if we can get, like you said, an extra field goal a game with Dicker can kind of, you know, keep on, a, on an upward trend. Um, you know, he regressed, but get back up there. You're going to be all right, kid. Um and and the punting can give us more, you know, 
40 yarders than 20 yarders, then, then I think the defense is good enough. But the, the one thing that concerned me, and, and, and we can maybe talk about it future, is what happened with the second quarter with our offense? Like, Was there something you saw why it just stalled out? We had nothing but three and outs. Um, you know, at one point we did get punted into our own five where we had to punt out of the end zone, which basically set up TCU to, to run two minutes, two and a half minutes off the clock and put the go-ahead touchdown up at halftime. But it was just a wasted quarter of, of nothing. And then we came out in the third quarter a little bit flat, those first two drives going three and out again. And it really looked a little dire. I mean, that's where I say we didn't play a complete game. Was there something you saw in that 10 minute stretch that was different that they weren't doing? Uh, well, there were, they just weren't able to control the point of attack. I mean, there were a couple of spots where yeah, you have a one or two yard play on, on first down, you have a, you know, two, three yard loss and there's not a ton that you can do. You know, there were that that end of the second quarter, Texas didn't really do a great job of controlling the point of attack. Now, they did have one long, you know, field goal drive. Dicker did cap that one off. Uh, but I, it just there were some there were some points where TCU started to feel a little bit on the along the defensive line uh, and reset it. Mm-hmm. Now that didn't hold, obviously, but uh, it just seemed like the. The play design that they were going with in one, one, three, and four, um, maybe those were the quarters that Herman called, and he decided to let Beck call the second quarter. Uh, maybe that's what it was. I don't. There's just there was. It just felt the offensive identity seemed to go away at least for a quarter. Yeah, and and here's here's the only last thing I'll say is when that happens, the defense did what they needed to do to put them in position. The only other thing you can do because that's going to happen when you have young guys across an offense um, and in a line that's still clicking a little bit. I, that's where I need that kick return. That's where I need a, a special teams player to step up and make a play and give your guys something. I mean, I know it's a unique and special talent, but I think back to that OU game when we needed everything. Everything was gone, no momentum. It was slipping away. Here comes Jordan Shipley with a with a kick return, you know, to the house. And and that no, we don't have to be returning for touchdowns, but let's get those thirty yard returns where a guy tackles you and, and you see the returner pop up jumping because you know he could have got thirty more, and all of a sudden you have an energy, you have an offense. It's like I'll get those thirty for you. It, it energizes and changes the whole dynamic of the game, and that's the one area uh, that we're missing. And I think we did wonderfully on on you know we've blocked a couple field goals. We've uh, you know we we had a good punt return from Brandon Jones in week one, um, but really just kind of getting that together on the special team side will be something that I'll be watching for the for the rest of the season. I think that could definitely be a differentiator if Texas can get it together. But let's let's move on to to the other purple people eaters, at least as far as Texas goes. So after the win over USC, after the win over TCU, Texas hops up basically 15 spots. They were in the others receiving votes, hanging out at around 30 or 33, I believe the number was. Uh, so now Texas ranked number 18 in the country. Uh, heading in to Manhattan, a place where Texas has not won since 2002. Mm-hmm. So six, was that 16 years ago? Uh, Caden, the Herman said in his press conference, Caden Stearns was two years old the last time Texas won to Manhattan. Now, <laughs> granted, for a big chunk of that, Texas and Kansas State played on alternating schedules where there's a big 12 North and South. Right. So you have that, but again, Texas um, is not really has not seen a ton of success uh, there. And Texas has struggled in recent years with success. Whereas last year, big upset win to get bowl eligible. Then they blow a game against tech 2016, Texas. That's the Notre Dame, Texas is back game. Uh, they then beat San Jose state. Beat the brakes off them, lost three straight. 2015, Texas beats OU and Kansas State, and then they get shut out by Iowa State and miss a bowl game. So there are a lot of, of weird historical things that are happening uh, as Texas travels to one of the weirdest places to play in the conference, if not the world, yeah. uh, Manhattan, Kansas. So what is your... What's your feeling for this weekend, and are we putting too much significance on a week two game uh, in conference play? Well, I'll say this: No, I mean I think Kansas State has been our boogeyman, no matter if we're good, no matter if we're bad, for as long as I can remember. I, I am long time on the record as saying there may not be another team that I just outright hate 
as much as Kansas State, not just because it rhymes. I mean, OU I hate as a rival, but God, I have to respect them a little bit. You know, what they do on the football field. What they do with every other aspect of their life is questionable at best, but what they do on the football field, you got to respect it. Uh, I just hate Kansas State. I don't have any time of day for them. So it's, from a personal standpoint, I just need this. I need this exercise. Um, if TCU is is a, a year away from where they're going to be, Kansas State might be a coach away from where they're going to be. And that's weird to say because Bill Snyder is, is one of the legends of the game. The job that he did to turn Kansas State from literally the worst program in the country by a good margin uh, w- would make this year's Rutgers look like a powerhouse. Um, he turned that into what he turned, and, and we all know you know, the 17-year the run that he did it. Enough that he's coaching, and he's already in the Hall of Fame. Like, not, not hyperbole. He's, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, you know, he did such a phenomenal job, and then he came out of retirement to kind of rescue the program yet again. He had, I think, a, a, like an 11-year streak of bowls, and he had an 8-year streak of bowls that he's on now. That streak is probably going to end this year. I mean, it's hard to say because we don't know how good exactly anyone who Kansas State has played is. They played South Dakota, not the really good one. Barely snuck by him. Uh, Mississippi State, who, who you know looks like they're going to be bad, but maybe Kentucky is just good, and so maybe they're not that bad. UTSA, who we really don't have a read on, and West Virginia, who we know is good, but it's like I, they they haven't looked like a good team, but it'll be unsure. And I just don't want to be overconfident, and I don't want the players to be overconfident. I don't want this to be a trap game, you know that that looks like looking at OU, looking at the big biggest game of the year that you know they they overlook this one, but. I just I don't see how how this Kansas State team, unless they really truly have been playing possum all season to lure Texas in, because that's all they care about is beating apparently their biggest rival, Texas. Uh, unless that's the case, then then this this Kansas State team is is worse than that Tulsa team for sure. This is the worst team we've played this year based on what we've seen so far. So with that in mind. I think this is a proving ground for the Texas team. I think they come out and they prove just how good they can be. It gives our offensive line a chance to dominate because Kansas State is unseasonably and unreasonably bad in both trenches. I I, I don't know. I, I just think this is a chance for Texas to really feel themselves, to, to fill that belly full of confidence and pride before they head into uh, a couple tough games that follow. Yeah, uh, as someone who was uh, on the field filming for both Ron Prince games, um, <laughs> it, it just it it hurts. Uh, so I, I'm just ready to see Texas get over this hump. I think at some point uh, they've just got to beat these bad teams. And, and Kansas State is not a good team. Uh, and so this is really going to be their first opportunity to just look like bullies out there. And I think, um, you know, the the defense, the Kansas State defense, excuse me, Played Will Greer really well. Played probably his worst game of the year. All right, what will be his worst game of the year until he plays Texas? Um, you know, he <laughs> threw three picks. Granted, he also threw five touchdowns. Um, but the he was able to stand in the pocket all day. Um, so I, I just I can't get a read on Kansas State. I just can't because playing in Manhattan terrifies me, and I can't get over. Again, Kansas State has just kind of owned Texas. And so no matter where the teams are, no matter what their statuses are, I mean, again, I remember when Texas was fourth in the nation and Kansas State just punched him in the mouth. And then the next year, Texas was seventh in the nation and Kansas State punched him in the mouth. And so it's it's just no matter what the teams are, no matter where they're trending, it's just terrifying to me. Yeah, and in so there, there may be a bit of a, a quarterback controversy on top of everything for Kansas State, just to you know add data points. I again don't think that this is an easy game because it's Kansas State. I, I think it could be a one touchdown game, but I hope I'm wrong. Um, I hope they they win by 35. But they pulled uh, Skylar Thompson and and, and uh, Snyder said he would play. He would play both through the season. That's never been a thing. But they pulled Skylar Thompson, who won the starting job a couple weeks ago, and put in Alex Delton, who you may remember is the guy who. Uh, came in for a hurt Jesse Ertz and ran for uh, all over, I think, 79 yards and a couple touchdowns uh, on 12 carries against UT uh, last year. Thankfully, Sam pulled it out in overtime. But, uh, you know, he, he basically, when he talked about his whole team, nothing but but terrible things, including about starting quarterback who had nearly identical stats. But then when when he talked about Delton, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, he played great. And all his praise for, for that quarterback. So it almost makes me think that we might see a shakeup. Hasn't been announced or anything, but 
wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of a change. I don't know if that's going to be a jump start, though. I mean, t- Kansas State just doesn't have the talent. It's like flipping houses. You know, you, you buy a house and you, you think you have the formula, right, where you can just buy cheap and sell high every time. And Snyder has literally made a career out of it, has done it so well. But you kind of get the feeling, and, and talking to some of the, the Kansas State fans and seeing on Twitter how the, the where their pulse is at is they kind of get the feeling, too, that it may have passed him by a little. He just – he was smiling and happy after a big loss to West Virginia. He was joking with Holgerson. You know, there's a point when you're 80 years old and you beat cancer that losing a football game really doesn't matter that much. Um, <laughs> and that's great as a human. That's how all of us should feel. But it may not be great as a head football coach, you know. So, um, you know, I, like I said, this could be the game that Bill, Bill Snyder shows he's got one more trick in the bag and he, you know, signs for another 15-year extension. But I really get the feeling that even though it is two and a half hours from Kansas City Airport to get to this, you know, place that I don't even think exists on Google Maps, Manhattan, Kansas, I still think Texas and Tom Herman is, is you know, going to drill it in their heads that this is a big game. This isn't the game before a big game. This is a big game. This means something. There's history. Um, it's tough. It's a weird place. I think they're going to be ready and they're going to come out and I think the chips will fall where they will. And, you know, the the current state of each of these programs will hold true and Texas will come out with a dub. So if Texas does manage to win this game, it will be the first time since 2012 that Texas has started a a season four and one. Uh, So they've got an opportunity to show that they finally turned a corner. Now, I'm not going to use the the internet meme. Not going to do it. Can't refuse to do it. I think it's dumb. I hate you, Joe Tessitore. But... (laughs) Texas looks starting to look like a team that's moving in the right direction. And so if they can come away with what should be a, a winnable game, that's what I'll say. It, it's a winnable game. If they can come away with it, then this will be the last thing is, are you, are you convinced that Texas is finally on the right path and, and, and is on their way back? Um, I hate that last word you used. Uh, we, we said we weren't going to use it. Um, Texas is here present we have a history we have a past we have our tradition and culture being one of the three most winning programs in the country winning multiple national titles uh in in, you know inventing the wishbone that that literally was the last you know college football revolution before you know that all the passing iterations we've seen since you know um it it won national champions across the country dale k royal everything that he did the you know all-time great running backs dbu i mean Let's not shirk at Texas's outstanding and unbelievable and almost unparalleled uh, tradition in history. But we don't need to. We don't need to live in that. Texas is now, and this Texas now is very good. And we haven't seen their best. Like I said earlier, Texas is on the start of something. There's something growing. There's a buzz. Um, the players seem happy. They seem like they feel it. They seem like they believe in themselves a lot, uh, and they have every reason to after these these last two games to to think that. They're one of the the best teams in the Big Twelve. You know, um, they're going to have to prove that. Big Twelve started. They're they're one and zero. There's nothing, you know, but but games ahead of them. So I don't want to use any of those words, but I think it's important to note that this team is here. They mean business. If I would have told you at you know or anyone I know who follows Texas football, if I would have pulled you and said, "How do you feel with Texas starting the season four and one?" A, you would have said, "Well, that's that's a that's a big task. That's pretty unlikely." B, they would have said, "Well, you lost to TCU. Okay, I, I can feel that." Or, or maybe beat TCU, lost to USC. But you know, it, it makes you a little bit more frustrated with what happened week one. Because if this was a five and zero team, the the hype would be unbearable. So again, Tom Herman, just a genius. I think he did it on purpose. He knew. You know, out-of-conference games don't matter. They had the narrative, first game of the season. It all checks out for us to still get a playoff berth. But, you know, no, I, I think I think this team is right where they need to be. The Maryland game is, is a frustrating thing that happened. But they grew. They did something that they didn't love, and they grew from it. And I think you're a quarter through the season. It's not over. Keep growing. Keep developing. Keep getting better every game. Use Kansas State to do new things that become part of your repertoire. If that's your offensive line, pushing them in the dirt, make that a thing that you do and you know you have in the bag to take into your OUs and your Oklahoma States um, and your West Virginias. You know, I think that the Big 12 right now is at a state where it's almost like basketball, where anyone might beat anyone on any given day. 
there's probably seven really good teams that aren't in Kansas uh, in the Big 12. Everyone else is good. You know, Baylor may not be great, but everyone else is good. Tech, OSU, Iowa State, very good. You know, OUTCU, West Virginia, you know, could beat anyone in the country on any given day. This is a good conference, and there's still a lot of talent to go. So, like I said, Texas is here. Grow on it. Let's see where we are in a couple weeks. And I think these next two weeks will will show a little bit of what Texas is about. Uh, I think if they if if they're able to do what they're supposed to do against Kansas State, and if a game against OU is competitive, I feel pretty confident about the direction of the program. And I will retract the things I said after the Maryland and Tulsa games, aka that Tom Herman is looking real unfamiliar. Uh, but we've got a little bit of non football news to bring to you. So first up. Uh, Chris Del Conte continues to move the program in the right direction, move all of the programs in the right direction, not just football. Uh, so this week, Texas baseball broke ground on the J. Dan Brown Family Player Development Center in Austin. It's going to be uh, a training facility, indoor training facility for the baseball team. It's going to be, uh, you know, along that first base side of the dish. Uh, so the facilities continue to improve. I think as the facilities improve, uh, the talent level that Texas can bring in will continue to go up, up, and up. But what is this, Kyle? You're the baseball guy, so. What does this do for a program like Texas that overachieved a year ago and may be on the cusp of, of becoming and, and really reestablishing itself as a national power? Well, David Pierce has, has shown himself he was the co- reigning coach of the year in college baseball. He's legitimately one of the best coaches in that sport in the country. There's no doubt about it. So they have that. He's doing a good job recruiting. I mean, I think they have the number eight class right now um, recruiting. Um, and, and then you throw on that, you know, Upgraded facilities, which is going to make both of those things better, the, the actual product and, of course, the recruiting. I mean, this is this is where I think Chris Del Conte, we give him so much praise, but can always take more. I mean, Tom Herman saw it when he came into the football program and said, you know, you're supposed to be Texas. When I was here, whatever, 20 years ago, y'all were ahead of the game, but it's the same stuff. You know, the fact that UT didn't have an indoor facility for baseball was a little bit behind the times. Del Conte built one at TCU. Um, it's crazy that he's able to come in and do as much as he is, but I'm so glad he is. I mean, he the, the Texas AD job is such an unbelievably hard thing to maneuver, and he's doing it so well. Um, that, that baseball run last year was some of my fondest memories of Longhorn Sports, and I can't wait to see what it looks like. We're building the program back. This is going to create you know the, the just the sustained excellence because really, truly, Texas is most dominant probably in baseball of, of our men's sports. So, you know, I, I think that's where a lot of our money should be going and, and uh, helping make that the, the program that it should be. So I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm very, very excited uh, to see that. And then all the drawings look uh, look very cool. So I'm excited to see it once it's all done. Texas women's soccer continues their uh their undefeated streak. They have one tie, but they haven't lost yet this year. So against Baylor, it took the daughter of NBA champion Chauncey Billups, Miss Sydney Billups. She's her own person, dang it. But she <laughs> kicked with, uh, it, it scored the golden goal uh, 30 seconds into overtime to get a win over the Baylor Bears. Those women continue to, uh, to, uh, to, I don't know, to, to dominate the Big 12 is the only only verbiage I can think of for that. They refuse to be beat, and I love it. Uh, I didn't know that Sydney Billups was Chauncey Billups' um, daughter at all, and I was watching it with my girlfriend who, who went to uh, Baylor, which was wonderful. We kept Longhorn Network on while we were packing after the game, and they replayed the game. So I knew this had happened, and she didn't, and so we're watching live. And UT equalized it. You know, Baylor had a lot of chances to win it, actually. They had a couple off the crossbar, and it went into overtime. And this was basically like... 30 seconds in, it was the golden goal, and this girl scores it. And uh, I'm, I'm going crazy because I knew it came, and she was upset because, you know, poor Baylor. Um, but I was like, yeah, yeah, Sydney Billups, whatever, whatever. And she's like, that's such an interesting last name. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And she's like, I only know one Billups. I was like, oh, yeah, Chauncey, right? And so we both Google, and we're like, oh, my God, I had no idea, Chauncey. And that's how it should be. I'm glad that that isn't what's told about her. What's told about her is she's a fantastic athlete. Um, so good for her, and good for Texas women staying undefeated, number 11, I believe, uh, in the country now. They, they started unranked. So just um, you know, plowing through, success on the field will we'll do that for you. So um, keep on women's soccer. Y'all are, uh, y'all are exciting, and I'll be watching. 
couple of quick hits on uh, on the football awards. Uh, so we talked about Caden Stearns being the Big 12 newcomer of the week. Sam Ellinger nominated for the Davy O'Brien uh, Week 4 award. That's the second straight week that TCU defense has has been uh, given that up, which I thought was just salty because Davy O'Brien, of course, TCU quarterback, great. <laughs> it's incredible. It really, really is. Thanks for that. Uh, and then Gary Johnson, uh, congrats having a daughter, man. Uh, Kyle, you don't you don't have much of a perspective on this, but fatherhood's awesome. <laughs> oh, and I I am I feel so terrible for the guy who tries to date her. Um, he he better be like a Deshaun Elliott if you're gonna if you're gonna date a bad man's daughter like dating Coach Strong's daughter or trying to to date uh, little I think her name is Lil Gary Johnson I don't know I don't know I don't <laughs> I haven't heard um but uh, well, whoever she is I, I I'm sure she will uh, she will be hard to get anywhere near it'll be like uh, like Will Smith and and uh, or excuse me like uh, Bad Boys Two um, so I uh, good for Gary Johnson congratulations. <laughs> Oh, man. So now it brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of our favorite traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I had to skip it because I, I had a better one. But real quick, our, our, uh, shout outs to my man, Tua of Alabama. I don't like you on the football field, but you are unbelievably good. And he uh, tweeted this morning, you know, uh, bring back NCAA football. We're, we're obviously long on the record for that. So I know if I were as good as him, I would want to play as myself. So I get it. He's basically a created human who's 99 on all the attribute sliders. So I, I get it. But, you know, that's my not bang the drum. I will actually bang the drum on a cool stat that, that we kind of came across. And we hinted at a little bit earlier, um, the time of possession. Um, so I was kind of going through some stats of the UT team uh, this week. And, and uh, one that, that stood out um, was UT had about 42 um, or excuse me, had allowed their opponents to have about 42% of the possession so far this year, which is pretty good. You want to be on the right side of 50. Uh, I didn't realize quite how good. Um, so it's it's actually puts them at 14th in the country. And of the teams that are ahead of them, you have the three service academies who are, you know, option teams, heavy ball usage, Georgia Tech, another, uh, another triple option team, and then teams who just don't play defense because they can't wait to get back on the offensive side of the ball, Texas Tech, East Carolina, Washington State, um, Baylor to some extent, Syracuse. Um, so, I mean, you, you basically, and then you have Wisconsin, another traditional big power. So Texas slotting in behind those, that group of teams is pretty amazing. Um, I'm really, you know, especially considering the fact that we've really um, hinted at the fact that three and outs have been <laughs> terrible and we need to stop them. You know, if you take some of those where they offense just has a quarter where they can't produce out of it, you could have Texas up in like a top five of this. And we actually have the stats to, to back that up. Um, of the three wins that Texas has, uh, has put together, Texas time of possession had an average of uh, nine minutes and three seconds uh, above their opponent. On the uh, one loss, which of course was Maryland, Maryland actually came out on top winning time of possession uh, by five minutes, five and a half minutes actually. So um, I think it's, you know, I think it's a pretty clear line in the sand. That's part of third down conversions, getting the running game going. Uh, one guy I want to shout out was Colin Johnson. This game, not his biggest catch, biggest play. But there was a play about seven minutes in the third quarter where he caught a ball on third down, had three yards to get to the sticks, and guys hanging on him, and he absolutely fought for it. It's those types of plays that end up winning you games. So, uh, you know, just think it's it's a key critical thing for the Longhorns uh, and the offense going into the, the meat of Big 12 play in the, in the final, final piece of the season. Well, and I think a big thing that also plays into that is that in the last two games, Texas has had multiple drives. And really, in the last two games, each of those games, they've had a drive longer than five minutes to kill the game. Mm -hmm. Where against USC, it was, hey, we're we're in our five-minute offense. They did it against Tulsa. You know, and they got the ball back and scored at the end. They they took, like, I think it was six minutes off the clock, drove down the field and scored. And then you saw it in the second half against TCU. A year ago... On that drive, they're snapping the ball with 12 to 15 seconds on the play clock. And this year, they're taking it down to three and snapping the ball right before the delay of game hits. And that's how you that's how you ice a game. And so it's it's really impressive, that growth as well. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's that's it, right? This That's a team, like Herman talked about, learning how to win. And I should say, 
I don't want to give the appearance that that's an offensive statistic. That is not just an offensive statistic. That's Texas defense the past two games going out and getting turnovers. That's uh, Texas defense getting three and out. So I, I want to make sure that I don't heap my praise completely on the offense because the defense has been carrying their load. Defense has got to get off the field. Uh, look over in uh, Norman what happened. Granted, they scored four touchdowns in 15 minutes, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so my bang the drum is a bit of a dumb controversy that came up over the weekend. Uh, so a tweet came out uh, of a picture pregame of the Baylor band, not the Baylor band, the TCU band, they're basically the same school, uh, sitting <laughs> in the nosebleed section. So the TCU band is sitting up in the nosebleeds, and you've got two schools of people. You've got people that are, oh, that's classless. How are you? Gonna, they're guests. How are you going to put them in in the bad seats? Um, and then you've got, also, we'll, we'll add a third school. You've got uh, people like you and I that laugh at really trolly stuff, and that's <laughs> that is on the cusp of being super trolly, and I love it. Uh, and then you've got people that you and I also fall into this pool a little bit that get what's going on with that, where. If you are truly trying to create a home field advantage, which you should be, then you don't give the opposing band good seats. You don't give the opposing fans good seats. You keep them high and away. And Del Conte said it really well. He said it very diplomatically because some people came at him on Twitter. And one, big on you for keeping a level head and responding to trolls because it's okay. Uh, but... He said it himself, our goal was to give our students a continuous section in the stadium. To do that, we relocated our visitor seating to a different location. And that different location just happens to be the nosebleeds. And I'm okay with that. And if the opposing school wants to bring their band, then they have to sit in the assigned visitor seating. Now, I... I went to school when this wasn't the case where student seating was South end zone and the East nosebleeds. That was where I sat in most of my game South end zone. If I got my tickets early enough or if I got them late, it was the, uh, it was the East side nosebleeds. So, um, man, like I'm just glad that this is a school that's prioritizing the biggest fan base they're going to have which is your mm -hmm. students. Your alumni are really important and I can't I don't want to understate the alumni and the donors. I mean, there were there's a, a set of brothers that are donating a million bucks to the baseball facilities and it's going to take a huge um, donor number to get the south end zone done the way that they want to. But when push comes to shove, if you want to create an electric game day atmosphere, students are going to be your best bet. So giving students good seating and not giving up premier seating to the opposing band because some people may think that's the classy thing to do, which it isn't. It's just a dumb thing to do. Uh, <laughs> that for me feels like the right decision. I, you're right. I fall in that category of trolley and just loving it. I, I loved it without your, your beautiful and thorough explanation of why it's a good thing. But I do think, and, and I, I haven't been to a home game yet this year and it, it, it pains me, but I keep texting everyone in the stadium. How's the environment? How's this? How's the atmosphere? You can hear it on the TV. You can feel it. You can see the players reacting to it. I remember for the past few years, just the waves of get up, make noise, come on constantly from the players. Um, you know, and it feels like they don't have to, I mean, they still do, but they don't have to do that because that, that kind of contiguous student section that's replaced it with the band kind of closer in the middle gives a wave of sound that, you know, you have national sports writers coming in and writing articles about, the scene at Texas now. Um, so I think it's, it's again, I bang the drum every week and every moment for the job Chris Ocante is doing. So keep it up. I think it's, I think it's another brilliant and, and great move. Having the band behind the opposing bench. Perfect. Like there, there's just, <laughs> just little things like that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Texas tech is a ridiculous place to play because the band is smack dab behind the visitor's bench. Like it's, it's just, that's how you do it. And, and, if, if again, you can tweet at us if you disagree, we're at Longhorn Pod, I'm at G.H. Goodridge, you can tweet at us if you disagree, <laughs> uh, but when push comes to shove, 
if you can create an electric environment and it gets your players up for the game, then I'm all for it. And, and Herman said it the best, and I've never experienced it from that vantage point. But he said, you know, one of the greatest feelings in the world is being able to run up to the student section that's still full after the fourth quarter and seeing the eyes of Texas. Now, I've been there when the players ran over to the student section in the south end zone and sang the eyes of Texas, and it's an incredible feeling. And so that being the priority just continues to, to we're moving in the right direction and, and it makes me happier than I could possibly imagine. Uh, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Again, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. Uh, we've been live tweeting. Uh, I think we've done a great job. We, uh, we give you a, a healthy balance of uh, stats, analytics, and, and the X's and O's with a, a trademark snark that we can't quite seem to shake. So check out the uh, at Longhorn Pod uh, Twitter handle there to catch us during the games and during the week. Um, and uh, you can catch also tweeting during the game this year is new um, and writing the pregame piece is the Texas pregame over Barking Carnival, which has no X's and O's and a thousand percent snark. I mean, we do say this is your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports and opinions with a bit of snark built in. That's kind of our brand. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodridge. Again, get in on the conversation. We want to hear how you feel about the things we're banging the drum on this week. You can tweet at the show at Longhorn Pod. Choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this wherever you found it. Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. We'd love for you to be a part of our family. Thanks so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.